1969, there was a huge music festival that took place in the state of New York. Thousands of people attended, but I'm not talking about Woodstock. No, I'm talking about a cultural festival that took place in New York City over the span of six weeks of summer that brought in major acts like Stevie Wonder, Gladys Knight and the Pips, that drew an audience of over 300,000 people. Surely such a festival would have been talked about. Surely such a festival would have books written about it. Surely we would have heard about this, right? But alas, although the festival was filmed, the footage was never made into anything cohesive and the festival was forgotten, relegated to obscure trivia. In fact, the footage sat around for 50 years collecting dust until recently. Why am I talking about this festival now? Because Amir Questlove Thompson, drummer and singer for the music group, The Roots, directed a documentary on the cultural festival. The documentary is called Summer of Soul. This documentary focusing on the heretofore forgotten 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival premiered in January, 2021 at the Sundance Film Festival, where it won the Grand Jury Prize and the Audience Award in the US Documentary Competition. When it was released this summer, it won critical and popular acclaim and it got a Rotten Tomatoes score of 99%, which is pretty impressive. But let's start at the beginning, or at least in 1967. According to an article published in Rolling Stone on August 9th, 2019, 1967 saw the first Harlem Cultural Festival. Built on local talent, the festival was the brainchild of nightclub singer and community activist, Tony Lawrence and Parks Commissioner, August Heckscher. New York's mayor at the time, John Lindsay, was a progressive Republican who was concerned with civil rights as well as with keeping the risk of race riots at bay. It is speculated that Lindsay believed that the cultural festival concerts would be a valid way of keeping the city calm. So he approved of the idea and the Harlem Cultural Festival took off. During the summers of 1967 and 1968, the festival was purely a local event. Yet, despite the small budget, artists such as Tito Puente, Mahalia Jackson, and Count Basie came and performed. And by 1968, audiences of up to 25,000 came to theme nights such as the Gospel Festival and the Soul Festival. The 1969 festival was a different beast altogether. Not only did Tony Lawrence have aspirations to make it bigger and grander than it had been in previous years, but as the Reverend Jesse Jackson, a speaker at the 1969 festival told Rolling Stone, the festival was a way to offset the pain we all felt after the death 
of Martin Luther King. The artists tried to express the tensions at the time, a fierce pain and a fierce joy. 1969 was a time described by many as being on the edge. In the documentary, festival attendee Jim McFarland described it as a change of era in the black community and a time of the wholesale re-evaluation of our culture and our history. Another attendee, Daryl Lewis, said that after the deaths of John F. Kennedy in 1963, Malcolm X in 1965, Martin Luther King and Robert F. Kennedy in 1968, it felt like the system was letting you down. He went on to say that the goal of the festival may very well have been to keep black folks from burning up the city in 69. Barbara Blandacosta, another attendee, summed it up thusly. It was a crazy, crazy, crazy period. We needed something to really reach out and touch us. We needed that music. The 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival was called by some the Black Woodstock. Yet in many ways, it was Woodstock's opposite. It was an intentionally free festival where no one died. There was no violence or overcrowding thanks to the Black Panthers running security. The weather was perfectly fine other than a little rain during Stevie Wonder's set. Food was plentiful, transportation was easy and no one had to worry about the brown acid. Yet the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, despite being filmed for posterity, disappeared from the consciousness while the white Woodstock went on to have resurgences in the famously muddy Woodstock of 1994 and the infamous Woodstock 99, a music festival marred by violence, hatred, sexual assault, and fire. I remember as a teenager being enamored of Woodstock, of the whole hippie scene, to be honest. I bought into the popular image of Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco being full of peace, love, and mung beans. I wanted to be a part of the summer of love and study with the Beatles, with the Maharishi. I happily went along with the nostalgia that grips the late 1980s. I bought the People magazine in 1987 that talked about the summer of love and asked my mom what she had been doing during that fateful summer. My mental images of her wearing long flowing skirts and handing out daisies to businessmen went up in smoke as she told me that she worked as a Girl Scout camp counselor during that summer. In 1989, the PR people were making a big deal about the upcoming 20th anniversary of Woodstock. Magazines were doing news stories on the music groups that performed at the rock festival and commercials made fun of starched baby boomers meeting up with people from their hippie pasts. I was captivated by the sentimental commercialism running rampant through American popular culture. And I wondered where my mom had been during Woodstock. I was 
scarred enough by the summer of love incident. So I knew better than to have visions of my mom wearing bell bottoms and a massive Afro dancing in the crowd to Jimi Hendrix. Yesterday, when I asked her, she responded that she spent the summer working for the federal government as a clerk typist in Washington, DC. In my heart, I feel that this is very true to her very pragmatic soul. Plus, she doesn't strike me as a person who would want to romp in mud. Yet, with the release of the documentary Summer of Soul, I have started thinking and realizing how much the mythology of Woodstock is based on the characteristics of a very specific subculture. The hippies here in the United States started off as a youth movement mostly made up of white teenagers and young adults who are between the ages of 15 and 25. Many hippies were disdainful of the establishment and the middle-class values with which they had been brought up. Woodstock was based firmly in the hippie movement and its audience, therefore, was predominantly white. Contrast this to the images of the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival. In Summer of Soul, we see hundreds and hundreds of black people, yet there are white and brown faces there as well. There are men and women of all ages, from babies to young children, to teens, to young adults, to parents, to grandmas. There are women in tube tops, men in suits, brothers and sisters in dashikis, kids in t-shirts and cut off jeans. Despite being uptown in Harlem, there's some real diversity in the crowd. There is also diversity on stage. The Chambers brothers who performed the song Uptown, which is about going to Harlem, had a white drummer. B.B. King, who sang Why I Sing the Blues, had a jammin' white keyboard player. The backup orchestra for the Fifth Dimension was multiracial as well. And the Jewish jazz flautist Herbie Mann played an amazing version of Chain of Fools with Black percussionist Roy Ayers, while in the audience, a young Black girl in white patent shoes danced, surrounded by an appreciative crowd. There was also diversity in the acts that performed that summer. The six weeks of the festival had six different themes, Broadway in Harlem, Gospel Festival, Soul Festival, Caribbean Festival, Blues and Jazz Festival, and the Miss Harlem Beauty Pageant and Local Talent. Gospel Queen Mahalia Jackson and her protege, Mavis Staples, electrified the audience by singing Dr. King's favorite hymn, Take My Hand, Precious Lord. Sly and the Family Stone, the multicultural funk band, got the audience grooving to their hit, Everyday People. Gladys Knight and the Pips brought some Motown awesomeness to the stage with Heard It Through the Grapevine, which was a number two hit at the time. And the majestic Nina Simone brought some righteousness by singing Black Lash Blues and the song Revolution, her response to the Beatles song of the same title. I think it is this crowd at the Harlem Cultural Festival that I would have felt more at home with in 1969. Not because I am black, but 
because the crowd was more diverse and in many ways more real to my experience. When I first saw the documentary Summer of Soul, I couldn't breathe. I was so transported. The visuals of the crowds of people watching and listening and dancing to the music gave me an odd sense of deja vu, even though I hadn't even been born yet in 1969. Seeing black folks in the crowd decked out in dashikis brought back memories of my own parents in their own dashikis in the 1970s. The sea of Afros reminded me of when I chopped off my braids at the age of four, resulting in my receiving the first of many Afro haircuts. I wasn't used to seeing so many black people in one place. The last time I saw that many people of my own race gathered together was at a music concert in 2019. One attendee at the festival, Musa Jackson, who was four years old at the time, felt the same way. In the documentary, he says, this was the first time I'd ever seen so many of us. It was incredible. Families, fathers, mothers, kids running around. I was one of those kids. Beautiful, beautiful women, beautiful men. It was like seeing royalty. He goes on to say, it was the ultimate black barbecue. And then you start to hear music and someone speaking and you knew it was something bigger. Even the performers got the feeling that they were part of something larger than just a gig. It was important to them to be playing in Harlem, the center of black culture for many. For the fifth dimension, it was a matter of breaking down racial stereotypes. You see, the five vocalists were seen as a pop band, yet they were black. As singer Billy Davis Jr. recalls, back then music was segregated. Pop groups weren't playing black music and black groups weren't playing pop music and we were caught in the middle. Marilyn McCoo follows. We were constantly being attacked because we weren't quote unquote black enough. Sometimes we were called the black group with the white sound. We didn't like that. We happen to be artists who are black and our voices sound the way they sound. And how do you color sound? This, that was one of the reasons that performing in Harlem was so important to us because we wanted our people to know what we were about. And we were hoping that they would receive us. We were so happy to be there. As it turns out, members of the audience ended up getting on stage with the band and dancing with them during the song, Let the Sunshine In, which features some masterful gospel vamping by Billy Davis Jr. And little Musa Jackson found his first crush in Marilyn McCoo. The 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival was important. It brought out and united audience members and performers of many different cultures in the love of music. Yet this important moment in music raised nary an eyebrow in the white press. It was covered by local New York City stations, but the event was mostly ignored by national and international media in favor of the wider yet muddier Woodstock. Movie companies and national TV networks 
turned down pitches for years to have a documentary on the Harlem Cultural Festival, despite the fact that a sponsor, Maxwell Health's Coffee, had been snagged for the festival. The director of the documentary, Questlove, asks an important question. What would have happened if this festival was allowed a seat at the table? How much of a difference would that have made in my life? Indeed, how much of a difference would knowing about the Harlem Cultural Festival have made in the lives of kids like me, of people like you? Our lives would have been richer had we been able to see footage of Stevie Wonder finding his bliss as he plays a blistering drum solo, or hear the amazing harmonies of the song, Oh Happy Day. Had we been able to witness the great Nina Simone work that crowd, we would have been as spellbound now as the audience was then. But one of the most magnificent things we would have reaped from viewing the documentary sooner would have been images and sounds of joy. So often, even now, joy is missing when we talk about or look at images of black and brown people. Instead, we focus exclusively on civil rights, on pain, on suffering, on slavery, on racism, on riots. Summer of Soul shows the souls of people of color in their entirety, not just the pain, but also the joy. And these emotions are brought forth through music. Music can do awesome things. It can unite us. It can inspire us. It can drive us to change the world or at least our corner of it. While we may have lost some time not having this documentary at our disposal sooner, it doesn't mean all is lost. You can stream this documentary via Hulu and on the music service Spotify, someone has put together a Summer of Soul soundtrack which features eight hours of fantastic music. So watch, listen, there's still time to change the world. So may it be.